What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, welcome to Making the Shift. Tonight, we are talking all about stimming. This is something that we get questions about all the time, which is why we wanted to bring it to this show. I think it's something that's really, really misunderstood. And that's why it's so important for us to talk a little bit about. So let's first just talk about what is stimming, which I think most people have a general idea, but stands for self-stimulatory behavior. So usually really repetitive movements that we see in autistic kids, autistic people. Then that's the topic is really, or I mean, that's the kind of idea here is this isn't just about a certain age range. We're just saying in general, because I work with high school students and um, we definitely talk about stimming and, um, you know, what it means. And we dive deep into exploring um, some of those topics. So, yeah. yeah. So here are some common ones you might see, and some might be, you know, things that we don't even realize someone's doing and some might be a little bit more obvious, but things like hand flapping, tapping, even like nail biting can be a stim. Uh, I mean, you could really, if you think about it, stims can cross all over all the senses. And so, yeah, you've got your visual stims, which are going to be looking at lights, looking through kaleidoscopes. Looking you've at got wheel spinning. Wheel spinning. You've got auditory stems which are maybe listening to a song over uh, um, repetitively or just parts of a song or maybe pushing a certain button on an AAC device you've got smell so we've got you know um, sometimes to get that input um, smelling a favorite book smelling the nice pleasures of our skin um, licking licking proprioceptive. We have a trampoline at our house. Bouncing on a trampoline would be great. We've got vestibular stuff. So, um, you know, Jesse has her, you know, the chairs here that spin in circles in a, in a, a circle swing. So it really stemming can cover all of the senses. And so. Yeah. And the important thing to know is why people stem. And someone wrote in the comments, they're excited to hear what the benefits are of stemming. And that's the exact question we should be asking because, you know, the reason we even bring up this topic is because there is such a, it's getting better, or maybe it's just because it's our world, but there's like been this underpinning idea of stimming needs to stop, it's getting in the way, it's preventing this child from getting to learn and interact with me. And we're really here to kind of flip that script and tell you, no, it's actually a good thing. It's very natural. And here's why it's important. So you might see, I tend to use the word kids. So I'm just going to say kids, but obviously this goes for all people. Just what rolls off the tongue. (laughs) 
You might see kids stimming because they are coping. So this is a huge self-regulation tool. If something is going on in their life, they're really emotional about something, they might be using stimming as a coping strategy. They might be using it to deal with anxiety or stress. So that is a huge piece of it is the benefits that stimming has with helping people cope. And the others would be things like, I don't, I guess the word isn't cure, but I was going to say curing boredom, like they're bored and they just want to entertain themselves or because it's fun and it feels good. So there's like that whole other realm of stimming just because it feels good and it's fun. And I've heard autistic colleagues say things like, I wish I knew who this was. It was, it was years ago that I, that I heard this, but it was that like, I'm so sad for the people who will never get to experience that kind of like autistic joy I get from stimming. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard you say that um, to me yeah. before that you've heard that. So we really don't need to be stopping stimming because I mean, we'll talk about, you know, in the event that maybe stimming could end up to be harmful or um, certain situations. Yeah. 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 But you know, overall it could be um, for the most part, it's a good way of releasing energy. It's a good way, as Jesse said, to stay regulated. Sometimes when our bodies get feeling overwhelmed, you know, when we're in situations where our senses um, can be overwhelmed by bright lights, loud sounds, a lot of people, stimming is a good thing. You know, historically, it's always been one of those things where if we see someone stemming, pacing back and forth, that they're not paying attention. And it's quite the opposite. Usually when they're, that's when they are paying attention. Yeah. I have learned that firsthand for myself and have learned to, you know, find my own favorite ways to stem. And um, I'll share those in a little bit, but also I explore that with my students, you know? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I just talked about this on social media was, how we so often view stimming as the problem. Like, oh, well, he won't engage with me because he's stimming or he's not learning because he's stimming. But in reality, stimming is the solution. Like Chris said, it's regulating. So a lot of the times when we're seeing kids are stimming, that is really what their bodies are needing in that moment. And there's no reason for us to then go and try to take that away. And it was an autistic account that I follow um, on Instagram, her account is Cat Lady Justice. She's an artist, I think. She has a bunch of art on there, but she had this awesome post on stimming and talks about how, you know, stimming is not the problem. Stimming is the solution. And I feel like I wrote something down that she said. Um, yeah. Oh, this is good. You haven't heard this. Okay, ready? In our culture, unusual things are thought of as scary things. Things need to be things that need to be corrected. Is it dangerous? Is it destructive? Does it impact the body or wellness of another person? So first of all, you know, she's saying that in our culture, when we see things that are unusual, we automatically label them as scary. So what do we want to do if something's scary? We want to stop it. So it's like we are stopping people from stimming just because of our own discomfort that it's causing us. Right. And then she goes in to say, you know, is it destructive? Is it harmful? Like, is it hurting another person? And I think in that case, that is another conversation, which is what do we do when kids do have 
stims that are either injuring themselves or other people or destructive. And I think that, you know, my best piece of advice in that scenario, I guess a couple things. One would be trying to be as proactive as possible. A lot of times like these aggressive behaviors and self-injurious behaviors are happening because it's like this buildup of emotional dysregulation or overload. So I think that so much of that can be prevented or at least lessened by being more proactive with kids' regulation, really knowing what they need, making time for what they need and, you know, changing routines, changing schedules to better accommodate them. Um, And of course, like trying the best that we can to give them an alternative so that they're still getting that feeling, but in a safe way. Right, right. I agree. But I do think that like so much of it comes back to that. How can we be more proactive piece? How can we think about like all the contributing factors into this? Like we've talked about behavior being an iceberg and what we see is the very top, but there's so much contributing to it. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, back to what you were saying too, Jesse, I don't know the name of it actually, but her mom got us this thing. I think it's hers. It's I, I make hard boiled eggs in this pressure cooker. It's called a uh, instant pot. Instant pot. Yes. There you go. It's like super, super popular. Right. Everybody super knows. Super pot. I was like, I love that thing, right? It's got a safety valve on it. And that safety valve, when you're done cooking the eggs, you push the button and it lets out the steam. Imagine if it didn't have that, right? Things would not work out for my eggs. That's how our bodies work. And when we have a different neurotype that needs to really release some of these things, stimming is exactly what that does. And so it's a good thing. We have to know this because that allow, that will give students in, in the individuals we work with um that opportunity to release the steam <laughs> you know it's like it's kind of the my metaphor for yeah um, great that. analogy it would be even better if um you didn't miss the timer every time and let the <laughs> eggs sit in there 10 minutes longer because then what happens to those poor eggs you know the greatest part <laughs> about these discussions is that i've literally lived these um experiences of constantly needing to stem and fidget and be able to do that stuff to pay attention. And um, that comment right there is just directly related to my uh, executive functioning difficulties, which are there's a timer on the Instapot, but even when that goes off, I need a timer for the timer. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Cause uh, you know, I'm at about a 75% rate on getting eggs out of that thing in time. I was going to say maybe, maybe 50 got maybe 50. Um, the other thing to talk about a little bit that, that runs, um, between neurodivergent, um, people is, um, like if I go in my backyard, we have like this lemon tree. I don't know those lemons. It was like a lemon lime. It's like a half and half type tree. Yeah. It's like a tree that made a baby with another tree and now they have little half lemon limes. So I was just thinking like when I go back there, like while I'm going back there to do that, this is no joke and chill a test, but like I can hear a squirrel from literally 
like not just saying this figuratively like oh squirrel there's like a squirrel that walks on the, the telephone pole and then we have a cat on the left side and then our neighbors have a dog and then i can hear people walk so what i'm saying is i have floating attention that's the that's the word for it so if you've ever heard of floating attention it means that i have an overabundance of paying attention to everything that's just part of you know many of the neurodivergent students we work with stimming having a way to fidget helps us redirect so we can focus. When I'm in a staff meeting, I'm not kidding, 95% of every staff meeting I've ever been in, and this is nothing against my my work or staff meetings, but 95% of that stuff has nothing to do with anything in my life, right? I'm like chlorophyll, more like borophyll. (laughs) (laughs) But 5% of it is really important, right? I usually historically have been the guy that was like, oh my gosh, we were supposed to have staff pictures at 10. I didn't know that when they say that, they're like, you don't remember that? That was like the 5% that you were supposed to be listening to. (laughs) (laughs) So I have over the years through through high school and college, um, shake, I shake my leg. I bounce my foot. There's a common one between neurodivergent folks called the pen spin. For those of you watching live right now, we'll get a firsthand experience of this. But for those listening on the podcast, I'm taking my pen. And what I have learned to do, this is just part of me stemming, is taking my energy so that way it's not too distracting to other people around. But I just literally, with the pen in my hand, just over the, I don't know if you can see that, but... I don't even have to look. I could I do just, that too. Yeah, but I could do it. I could do it with <laughs> like both hands and then I can twirl it like in like a million different ways. So usually in meetings, I'll just sit there like this and I don't sometimes don't even realize it, but my feet are always moving. And one of the bad habits I have is biting my nails still, but I'm constantly having to move because that's what's keeping my attention. And so I'm, I have found ways to explore different ways to stem and different ways to fidget. And that's a very effective strategy when we work with our clients and we work with our students. Um, I have a fidget basket, you know, with tangles, with stress balls, squeeze balls, putty. Like it's just there for the students to kind of explore. And we talk about, because a lot of times the students know that they've got the, what we're talking about on the show. They've got, (laughs) they like to stem. It makes somebody feel good. It brings them joy. But they don't know that in certain situations, maybe there are other stems that they like that they can explore. And I think that's really a a good approach too, um, as being a a coach and and a therapist is like, hey, let's explore a variety of what's out there. Maybe jewelry. I don't know if you heard of that, but it's like jewelry that you can chew. You can get on Amazon. We explore um, just all sorts of different fidgets. We explore, um, you know, those ways to really get their bodies to stay regulated and uh, also something that brings them joy. Yeah. So it's really such a difference, you know, in the way that we approach it. It's not let's stop, let's no, not let them stim anymore, or let's try to lessen the stimming. It's, hey, let's figure out what stims actually work for you and how you can use them to your benefit. So having those conversations and like you just had a group yesterday when you were having those conversations with your high schoolers. Oh yeah. We had those conversations and guess what? Guess what two of us did? <laughs> I shouldn't say two because there was three of us and two of my students. While we were talking about stimming, 
and this is a, an effective strategy too. Um, we went outside of the therapy office. I know it doesn't sound too common, but we went outside, we walked down the stairs and we just walked and we talked. <laughs> that was therapy. So when you walk and talk, that's in a way bringing back and getting whatever's on the subconscious mind back to focus. Sometimes therapy, when I'm talking to things, when I explain to things that students need to, that, that they want to listen, like just walking with them can really bring the focus in. It's great. There's like a rap song from like two years ago. Remember that walk it like I talk it. It's like, oh my God. That goes through my no, mind. remind like, us. Just walk kidding. it like I talk it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, studies show that kids are more likely to open up to adults if you are like either walking or driving. So the face-to-face conversation, they're more likely to shut down, but they're more likely to open up. Does like it make walking. you feel better too? Like when you're walking and talking a little bit, does it bring? When some... I walk it like I talk it. Do you think so though? And someone in the chat wants to know if you have a diagnosis of ADHD or something, which we have talked about on a previous show. Yeah, I definitely. That. Yeah, I have a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, we have had an episode, yeah, many episodes back about Jesse having to uh, support learn me. a new lifestyle <laughs> of being in a relationship with someone with ADHD. You know, um, I don't know. I really feel fortunate, though, on my end, on certain areas. I know, I know. gosh, let me see if I can phrase this. But yeah, when I talk about what does neurodiversity mean? What does it mean to be neurodivergent? What does it mean to have differences than, um, you know, tip other the neuro majority, I should say. Um, and the students for they really feel connected with that because I don't hold back like I just straight up, I'll even say this in IEP meetings. So I have some parents that might be on this right now and I'm very transparent. You know, I talk about, Hey, uh, my disabilities have ADHD. So I have to find strategies and accommodations along my life to really help out, um, in a lot of areas. And it's, it's funny because, you know, it's just like being autistic where there historically has been an assumption that there's like a certain look so when someone sees me, they're like, you don't have a disability. And I'm like, well, that's very invalidating. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of areas that are that are challenging in my life that I that I have come a long way to, to work with. And it's um, one of those things where it's the more work you do to better understand a person, the better your relationship with that person is going to be, the more that you are going to be able to validate them and understand them and be able to communicate with, with them, you know, because there are plenty of things I could get angry at Chris about, like, why can he hear a squirrel walking on a telephone wire, but he can't hear um, me calling his name five times in a row, you know, but it's like, <laughs> that's because his attention is in a million places at once. So it's, you know, thing learning things like that about someone really help you to better understand and validate them. And with, with that being said too, one other thing I wanted to note before we start wrapping it up, um, is the stuff that we talk about, especially in this episode, is really uh, an effective approach for the accommodations page of the IEP mm-hmm. for those of you that work with students on IEPs or those of you that are parents out there with maybe a child that is on an IEP, you know, where we're creating um, accommodations to find ways to explore stimming, to allow access to taking a short sensory break, which is a form of stimming, like identifying when our bodies start to feel overwhelmed and we really need to release out some of that energy, being able to have access to 
fidgets and things in class, such as maybe the TheraBand that can wrap around the leg of the legs of the chair in class. You know, those ones where you can kick your feet up against um, or really exploring with the students. So that way they're not suppressing their stimming. I'm going to tell you that, um, yeah, that by trying to suppress all of what's going on in one's body is going to be like playing whack-a-mole. You're going to say, all right, don't move. I, you, you stop moving your arms or waving your hands and just stay still and keep Quiet your body hands. here. Yeah. Keep your body here. What will end up happening is you can get that to, to be accomplished and you've whacked that mole. <laughs> but what happens when you play whack-a-mole, you got two or three more that pop up. Basically what I'm saying is sure you could suppress stemming, but you're going to have three other things that pop up that are going to be even more challenging. And so we try to do our best to, figure out where's the balance on um, really working with our students in a neuro affirming way. Yeah. So I think let's close out. We wanted to share a few things, piece of, as, of advice and words of wisdom from autistic adults about stimming. So these are some people on Instagram. We're going to give them credit. Okay. This is one person tug the dog's dad. Okay. He said, I was stimming last night and my brain said, you should stop because I've been taught not to stim. But the truth is I don't have anything else I ought to be doing. So there was no reason to stop. And it's just one of those things where it's like so crazy that, you know, and this is an adult we're talking about here, but he's heard not to stim so much in his whole life. It's almost like this reflexive response of his brain to tell him not to. So that's almost like an unlearning then. Right, that right, needs right. To be done. I agree. Real quick, the name was Tug the dog's dad. What type of dog do you think Tug is? <laughs> I don't know. Based Should on the we name. investigate? I'm gonna guess. It sounds like a. I don't know. Maybe because it rhymes. Never mind. I was gonna say a pug, but then I realized that because it rhymes with Tug, oh, I was tug, like, it's yeah. got maybe it's Tug the pug. Maybe it is. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll report back on this. Uh, by the way, I love pugs. I know that was totally random. Um, here are a couple other really important points. One, Whitney Mason said stimming is done for self-regulation it's not to annoy and i love that because like how many people really think about that they're like oh he's just trying to bother me why is she why is he tapping why is he banging why is he doing this like it is not a behavior that is being directed to someone outside of themselves like it is something that is for themselves yeah, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, you know, if we all have this kind of knowledge, imagine within even an educational setting, because I was that student in class that, and she'll tell you on this one too, that I took my pens, I every once in a while, I'll still I'll tap it like it's a drumstick. But the thing about that is it's distracting to others in the class. But if the teachers had, a, or people that we work with had awareness, they can find a other way to get that same stimulatory behavior without maybe having to play the drums on my yeah. MacBook Pro. You also like will tap your knee and we'll be doing a webinar and he'll be like tapping his knee, bumping the table, shaking the computer. He doesn't realize. I know. So and we that's need to get why you some I'm more so fidgets available. <laughs> I'm shaking my legs right now. I'm just sitting farther away from the table. So it's not shaking. And the other thing I really wanted to bring up, I was thinking reflecting back on when we flew Jamie Boyle out here. She is an autistic friend of ours. She's an SLP. She worked on autism support resources with me. And we had so much great conversation with her when she was out here. And, you know, she talked about just being a 
woman then getting an autism diagnosis, her stimming was with her hair and it was always like tapping her hair on her face. And it's just one of those things where we don't really know, like stimming doesn't always look the same way. And um, it may be so much less obvious. And I think like that was one of those things where she said, it's harder to, it may have been harder to diagnose because her stimming was so like, I don't know, was less obvious. Right. Okay. Last thing. I was going to say there was a, there was a comment here too, that were about instances of stimming that might be disruptive over time or, um, you know, something to that nature. I had, I'll give you a, uh, an, a, a story of a junior um, this year. Uh, we were talking about um, stimming and she, um, she, her body likes to take her palm and, and hit her, hit her face like this, you know, and she didn't like that because, you know, it was kind of being for, and from her words of sharing with me disruptive and, I, I don't want to say disruptive. I should say more like distracting. And she was feeling like it was used kind of harming her. Right. And so the replacement stem for her is just to take her finger and now she taps it on her jawline. So when she does it, it gives her that same um, feeling, but she's not like hitting her face. And so I wanted to share that with you because things have really progressed in a, in a helpful and supportive way for her. And, and she's um, doing great. So Yeah, so alternate stems, um, other replaceable types of stems, but also, you know, going back to what we talked about initially of just trying to be as proactive as mm-hmm. possible, making sure that kids and people are really getting what they need to help them regulate. Yeah, that's, that's the big one. Okay, final comment. I loved this one from Sean Ford, 14. He said, parents and professionals tend to overanalyze and overthink why we stim. It's not a big deal. And I just love that so much because it's like, here we are having to do a whole show about why we should let kids stim, but it's such a huge, um, it's been well known and well documented that so many, you know, therapists have tried to get kids to stop stimming and parents get kids to stop stimming. So it's like one of those things where, it's really not a big deal. It sometimes can be a big deal if it is harmful, if it's, if it is affecting the child. Um, but it's really like something that's, that should be just so normal and natural and we shouldn't have to sit here having whole shows on it, you know? But when we do, and we have the open conversations and the more people talk about the awareness of, you know, Hey, self-stimulatory behavior and stimming is a helpful and good thing. And um, by doing shows like this and having those discussions, it reduces this, the stigma and it just really creates a world of understanding and um, a world of living in uh, harmony. Right. Yeah. There we go. I think that's the uh, most important thing. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. I, this is so funny to me. Our four-year-old's has learned how to FaceTime us on his iPad. <laughs> so he's just calling nonstop. And anytime I answer and I tell him I can't talk, he goes, well, if you hang up, I'm just going to keep calling. Oh that's my what gosh. he tells me. Anyway, that's so funny. Um, I feel so bad ignoring his calls. 
So we're going to call him back, and we hope everyone has a great rest of your evening. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.